Just turned that on earlier. Uh, guys, thanks for having me back here. As Joe said, I'm Rainer. I'm really excited to be back. I, um, I got to speak here once last fall during the Who is Jesus series where you're working through Matthew. Uh, and Joe actually asked me to speak like later on in April and it didn't work out. And I was pretty bummed that I wasn't going to be able to come here because I've really enjoyed Ankeny last time. And so it worked out that this time early March, but we're going to be continuing through the Living on Purpose series that you guys are walking through. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Acts 18. So Acts, fifth book of the New Testament, right behind the Gospels. If you get Romans or any of those letters, you've made a little too far. But as you're flipping there, I just kind of want to ask you guys a question. And I guess it's, it's not really rhetorical. If you want, you can, you can answer it out loud. Uh, but have you guys ever been scared? Okay, a couple of the dudes in the front are like, no chance. Uh, what are, like afraid, anything? Uh, any fears? Um, did someone say a fear over here? No? Um, like irrational or like rational fears. Anyone got any like irrational ones? What do you got? I, I, spiders? Dude, freaky stuff. Snakes? The ocean. Oh, that's a bummer. That's a tough one. Dude, anyone got any like irrational fears? What's good? What was it? Vomit. Vomit. Oh, dude. I have such a weak stomach even just like. Um, okay, I have this irrational fear. It like kind of keeps me up at night sometimes. Like I don't like want to fall asleep because my biggest fear is that I'm still a middle schooler and the last decade of my life has been a dream. And I'm going to wake up just like covered in acne, smelling like B.O., in my parents' basement. Dude, go Bears, <laughs> honestly. Like still using a flip phone where like I only had a limited number of text messages. And like you had to kind of like rash them off. And there's like the kind of like annoying people who like kept texting you and just wasting your messages. You had to block them. Um, it was the dark ages, guys. Um, kind of irrational, but I got like rational fears too. Um, heights, I hate them. I think I inherited that one from my mom, as well as bees. My mom also has like a bee allergy, so whenever I'm around bees, I'm like heightened, heightened afraid. Uh, a little bit more like real relevant, like I hate being rejected. Like people saying no to me, just like I hate it. So I like won't say no to people, don't take advantage of that, but I just like need more boundaries on that. Um, a deeper fear, I actually like go to counseling for this one. I'm like terrified of being like unwanted or like unliked. It's just like one of those like deep insecurities of mine. And so needless to say, like I know what it's like to carry fears, both like the rational and the irrational ones. And we're gonna like talk about fear a little bit tonight and especially like how fear prevents us from living on purpose. And I was watching a Netflix show, Alone. Anyone? Or I, I think it was like... um. Oh, Hulu first? I don't know. Only it's Hulu for the first seven seasons. Okay, yeah, Netflix only had season eight, so that's where I started. It was like up near Canada. Basically, they throw 10 people, like wilderness experts. I think season eight had like six dudes, four girls, something like that. They drop them off in the middle of the wilderness, give them basically like two items that they can bring. One dude brought like a toothbrush as his item. You gotta, yeah, you gotta um, support him for that. Uh, and then they give you like this like satellite radio thing. You basically have cameras, you film yourself, there's no film crew, and you just go off alone. And your little satellite radio thing has a little like save me button. So basically it's like if you want to bail, like you're like, this is it. 
You hit the button, these like troopers come out of nowhere, rescue you. Um, but you never know when like the other people are hopping in and out. You just don't see them. So it's whoever can survive the longest. I think the, the record was a dude made it like 100 days or something, uh, which is crazy because they have like survival experts. So it's not even that he like survived 100 days, like knew how to build a shelter, knew how to hunt, knew how to like, I don't know what else you do in the wilderness if we have any wilderness people here. They did all the survival things, but it's like, it's the part about like being alone that like really screws with people. Hence the show is called Alone, I guess. Uh, but going 100 days without like talking to anyone else is kind of like freaky. I couldn't do it. And I kind of lean introverted at times. But the reason I'm telling you that, Canada, right? Cover, or there's like a bunch of like grizzly bears, blizzards, all these like freaky things. And I'd love to kind of have the perspective. It's like, dude, I could handle it. Like, I don't know, I've, I've gone hunting before or like know how to use a pocket knife. But it's like, dude, I couldn't make a shelter. When the first blizzard comes, first grizzly bear comes, I'm just like scared. And I'm gonna hit the save me button, get out of there and not win like the half a million dollars that you win. And so maybe the, the people who are on the show have a little bit more confidence. But when we put in places that it's like, we just don't, we're just not equipped. We don't feel ready. It's like, we, we bring a lot more fear into the game. Okay. I have like a really bad transition, so I'm just gonna like own it as a dad joke. Yeah, so like, if I was on alone, I couldn't build a shelter. But we're gonna talk about today about someone who can build a shelter, a tent maker named Paul, Acts 18. Let's get there. That was the best I could come up with. The other thing was like, thank you, thank you. Dude, the other one was like, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'd be scared on the show. We're going to talk about someone else who is scared, which would make a lot more sense for where we're going tonight. But I, I just thought of like, dude, the dude's a tent maker. That's sweet. Um, for context, kind of where we're at in the, in the book of Acts, Paul is just leaving his, uh, just leaving Athens. So Paul's on this missionary journey. He takes three missionary journeys through the book of Acts and goes to basically capital cities, cities of influence with the hopes of planting a church there that will have a sustained ministry and will go out and influence the rest of the community or the surrounding community. So as Paul goes, we're Acts 18, planting a church in Corinth. Corinth is another just like major influential city. It's put between two ports. It's like Corinth, the ideas in Corinth literally changed the world. So Paul's going to Corinth pretty, pretty strategically. And when he gets there, he meets two other, two other tent makers, Priscilla and Aquila, um, who were there before him. They partner in ministry. A little bit later, his buddy um, Timothy joins and Silas joins, and they're kind of getting this thing going in Corinth. And I think Paul must be getting a little discouraged um, because then we get uh, Acts 18, verse nine, where we'll be, we'll be reading, and Jesus kind of comes up um, in a night vision to Paul. So I'll, I'll read that, and if, if you have your book open or your Bible open, we can read together. But Acts 18, verse nine the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent for I'm with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in the city. He stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. And I wanna just start by kind of framing what Jesus is saying here to Paul. Basically, Jesus is saying to do one thing. He's saying, preach the gospel, don't be silent. And he's recognizing it's like, okay, what's gonna be the hardest part about preaching the gospel not being silent? What's gonna be the, the hindrance in Paul's ministry? What's gonna stop him from doing what he's being called to do? 
And that's his fear. It's like, don't be afraid, go and do this. So then Jesus is recognizing saying, hey, like I'm, I'm recognizing your fear. And then I think Jesus gives us three reasons or gives Paul three reasons why he doesn't need to be afraid and he can continue to share the gospel, right? So we're gonna be looking at, um, we're gonna be going through Jesus' words here, starting with not being afraid, but then looking at, I am with you. Uh, no one will lay a hand on you and hurt you. And I have many people in this city. And I think just like starting it off with do not be afraid. I don't know if you guys know this, but 365 times in the Bible, it says, don't be afraid. So the Bible is not silent on fear. I think in one sense, it like really legitimizes it. Like it's like, oh, the, the God of the universe understands that his people can be fearful at times. And it would be pretty weird. Sorry, I'm gonna take a drink. It'd be pretty weird if Jesus told Paul, don't be afraid. If Paul wasn't doing anything like that wasn't scary. I was thinking, I think I was talking to Joe the other day, but I'm like, dude, don't be afraid. We're going to Chipotle. Like no need to fear. And you're just like, what? Or like Jesus shows up in a dream, wakes up. You wake up and Jesus is just like, dude, like don't be afraid. We're heading to the lake house. Ozarks, whole Airbnb. It's us. It's like, no, that's weird, right? It's like, Saying don't be afraid actually legitimizes the fact and validates the fact that Paul is bringing fear into his ministry. And you don't gotta, you don't gotta raise your hands, but as we're talking about fear, I wanna specifically kind of narrow in on the fear of evangelizing. Like this fear that Paul is carrying of not, or not preaching the gospel anymore and being silent. What's like causing him to have that fear? I just want you to kind of like sit in it for a second and think like, is that what's stopping you from sharing the gospel? Like, is it your fear that is what's causing you not to share the gospel with your roommates or in your classes, maybe, maybe the unbelieving family member? This is maybe a, a bold claim, but I'm pretty sure the number one reason, the number one hindrance to your spiritual growth is your fear. And like, maybe it's like, dude, well, I, I kind of, I'm a little apathetic right now. Like, I'm just not feeling it. And I'm like, sure, apathy might be the fruit, but I think fear is more of the root. Like evangelism is a spiritual discipline. I don't know if you guys know that. One of, the, one of the best ways to remember the gospel yourself, live out of a gospel identity, is to share it with others. Just the meditation on it, saying it over and over again. Um, so I'm, I'm worried about, about this next generation specifically, um, my generation, your generation, because we're like an extremely fearful generation. Psychologists call it the, um, the age of anxiety. And I'm not talking about like... Um, like a clinical, like mental health uh, anxiety. I'm just talking about like the natural rhythms of which we, we um, are, part of, are part of this world. The way we just, um, yeah, we're just a, a, fearful, a fearful people. And I think for some reasons, more than others, I think maybe social media has like played into that. We've had a, a hyper awareness of some of the hardships of the world, but I want to... Um, yeah, just uh, address it as something that we all, we are, are carrying. Um, for me, just like what's the hardest part about evangelizing for me when it comes to fear, it's, it's rejection. Like I, I hate um, feeling rejected or feeling like someone doesn't like me or something. And just like point one, if you're bringing the gospel to someone, it's like really not you being rejected. And it's them rejecting Jesus and unfortunately, that's not new to Jesus. That's what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. And I think we can carry that with us. But it's, it's rejection that, um, 
yeah, is what debilitates my, my ability to evangelize. And I think another thing, just as we talk about uh, fears, is I think we have fears for really legitimate reasons. Like, I'm not carrying rejection as a fear because it's just like something I like randomly hurt. It's like, no, I've been rejected before and I know it hurts. Or it's like fear of failing is a big one. It's like, no, I'm afraid to fail because I failed before and it hurts. Or like afraid to share the gospel because I might say the wrong thing and people have laughed or people will tease me. It's like, we're bringing legitimate reasons with us. So if you've been like hurt and you have like a fear um, because of something that's happened, I'm really sorry. Like whether it was something you did or something that happened to you, I'm sorry that you have to live um, or feel like you have to live fearful because of it. But I wanna look at, at Jesus' words after he says, don't be afraid. The, the first one he says is, I am with you. And what Jesus is doing here is he's promising his presence. There's, a, there's an interesting doctrine called the union with Christ or union, with, or union of Christ. And basically like summarize the gospel in one word, it's like union. It's like what's happening is Christ and you united forever. I am with you. And if we just think like, Maybe it's helpful to look at like what's not here, like what's not in the text. Because when, when I am is being spoken, when Jesus says I am, he's bringing back, uh, well, our ears should perk up whenever we hear Jesus say I am. There's like seven I am statements in John or something. Uh, but I am is like God's divine name. So like in Exodus, Moses um, goes up to Mount Sinai, God shows up and tells, or, and tells Moses, it's Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So Jesus is claiming the divine power, divinity. We at this point already know that Jesus has died on a cross, rose from the dead. He has proven his divinity. And he's showing up to Paul saying like, I am with you. I am the great I am, the, the God who created the world, everything in it, the God who saved the Israelites out of Egypt. He's showing all of this power, all the works of God and saying that power is with you. So I think we should really like sit there and like accept um, and recognize just like the power of God. But as I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, 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 that's, that's, um, that's great, that's great. But like, dude, what about Joe? Like, what if, what if Joe was with me? Like, I think I'd be like super confident sharing the gospel if it's like Joe's next to me, maybe he kind of leads the conversation. And I don't think it's like wrong to want to partner in ministry. Actually, like we see a lot of the missionaries in the Bible going out in pairs. Or maybe it's like Callie, wherever she's at. Like, that'd be great. Behold, Callie is with you. Behold, Joe is with you. And, or maybe like Billy Graham. You guys familiar with Billy Graham? Dude, that dude. I'd partner in ministry with him. Uh, John Piper, Brent Minter, whoever it is. Um, but there's just like a, a comfort that comes from presence. Like, I'm, I'm more comfortable sharing the gospel when I have someone who I'm like, oh, dude, they know it. And what Jesus is promising here, when he says, I am with you, it's literally the dude who experienced it. Like the gospel's his story. He's with you. That should bring us like immense comfort. I think of going back to the show alone and how I probably wouldn't last long. I'm walking around, I'm in the woods. I see a grizzly bear. I probably, you know, pee my pants or something. And I'm looking around just like, what to do, what to do? And I see just like this like professional bear hunter. Dude, I run to that bear hunter. I just kind of stick behind him. I feel safe. Like running to the bear hunter, being around the presence of the bear hunter, it doesn't get rid of the bear. Bear's still there. My safety isn't in the bear like disappearing. 
if you see where I'm going, like Jesus being around you doesn't mean you don't have to share the gospel anymore. It just means you like have his presence and his strength as you go off and do it. Or um, when I was a little boy, uh, rainy days, I had like these two windows in my bedroom. So my, my siblings only had one. So when like rain and stuff would come, like they'd only be scared like a fourth of the storms, but I got scared twice as much because I had two windows. No matter where the storm was coming from, the lightning and the thunder was like shaking my room. So I know I ran to my parents' bedroom way more than my siblings. And I'd run and I'd run and hop in the bed with my, my dad and my mom. And the storm would still go on. My heart rate would slowly like get lowered and I'd fall asleep because the presence of my parents provided security and safety for me. And I think another cool part here is just looking at when Jesus says, I am with you, just hearing what with you means. It's not like I am going to be with you or I was with you or I am cheerleading you or, hey, I am your biggest fan. The I am with you is really just like a promise of his presence, uh, eternal promise, a constant presence. Like that presence should bring us comfort because we know it's a loving power. Uh, the next part we'll see here is Jesus says, no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. I think this one gets difficult. Um, at least to apply to our own lives. I think what Jesus is doing here is actually speaking to Paul specifically. See, Paul um, in Acts 14, uh, I think it's Acts 14, 19, yep. Uh, Paul was in Antioch and the, he was preaching the gospel there and the Jews stoned him for, for preaching the gospel. And if you're familiar with stoning, it's literally, you get set in the ground Dozens of people around you all throw rocks until you die. So they stone Paul. They leave him for dead. By some miracle, Paul survives. And this is just a few chapters before Paul gets to Corinth. And I think one of the ways Jesus is speaking to Paul is actually recognizing and validating like the true trauma that Paul is bringing. Like it's not just that Paul was a little nervous of being rejected. It's like when Paul plants churches, he gets stoned. Like he is shaking as he comes to Corinth. I think Jesus is a God who actually validates those fears and says, yeah, Paul, I see you in that pain. I see that your pain actually has left a longstanding fear in you. And my presence is still gonna be enough. When he says, um, no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. I just think of what that must have felt like for Paul to hear, just like the going and planting a church and actually having that promise of safety. Paul will continuously get hurt throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And when I said this is like a difficult thing, it's like, I don't want to apply to your life that you'll never get hurt. I think that's probably a misreading of this scripture. Paul in, in Romans talks about, I think it's Romans 8, talks about, he said like no affliction, or all these afflictions have come over me, nakedness, famine, sword, uh, and all these things were more than conquerors. Nothing would separate us from the love of God. So even in like this hurting we got here is we got like physical hurt and we got spiritual hurt. And yeah, you might be physically hurt a little bit, but like real spiritual hurt, separation from Christ, never gonna happen. It's not worth comparing, I think is also the comfort here. And dude, the, the final part here that, that we see uh, that Jesus comes with is, I have many people in this city. And this promise is just beautiful. I don't know about you guys, but when I said like my number one fear of sharing the gospel is just the fear of rejection. Christ is promising success. 
Like I have many people in the city. There are many people in the city of Corinth that God intends to save. We read um, in John that Christ says, he says, I'm the shepherd, I have many sheep. My sheep know my voice. When they hear it, they will follow me. And Jesus is showing up in the middle of the night and telling Paul, he said, hey, I have sheep in the city of Corinth. And the promise of success, I think it should push us past the, the kind of immediate rejection that we feel. Sorry, I'm like a little sick, so I like just forget to breathe and then throat gets even sore, you know? Uh, where is that going? Let's see. Um, promise of success. We can withstand a lot more rejection when we know there's like a success coming. So like, I don't know if you guys are gamblers, hopefully not. Um, but Jesus shows up middle of the night, tells you, he goes, hey, start buying scratch-offs. You're gonna win big time. And I'm like, yes, Lord, send me. So we go, up, go to the gas station, buy a scratch-off, do the whole thing, lose. Show up again, buy another scratch-off, lose. Do it again, win $1. I'm like, is this what you meant, Lord? Because now I'm three down, one up. Like, this can't be it. God's like, no, no, I have many lottery tickets that you are gonna win. I'm like, yes, Lord. So I go back, get some more scratch-offs, and I can take way more rejection because I trust the promise of God that he's actually gonna provide. So I'm going, I'm going, I'm getting all my scratch-offs. End up winning big time. I make like, I don't know, 750 grand, way more than the winners of a loan. And that promise of success is what kind of like helps me get through the rejection. Another, another illustration. Any uh, like geologists in the room? No? No? Didn't think so. <laughs> okay, dude. Okay, men- imagine just like a huge boulder, right? Probably like a, like a metamorphic rock. There's a class at Iowa State, Rocks for Jocks, Geology 101. Uh, metamorphic, it's like the densest, hardest, cold rock. Just imagine a big one. And I like one of those little like framing hammers that kind of puts the little like tacks in. I hand it to you and I'm like, hey, I want this rock to become dust. And you just start whacking at it and whacking at it and whacking at it. Dozen hits in and like the smallest little chunk comes off. The rock is just rejecting the hammer, see? I'd be discouraged, I'd quit, I'd throw the hammer across the whole, I don't know where the heck we are, we're, we're in Canada, we're still, we're still playing alone. You've been bored, you're looking for a game and rock with hammer is the game. You give up, right? Like it's a massive boulder, it's a tiny hammer, it's not breaking, you give up. But Jesus, right, the great geologist that he is, kind of had this x-ray machine, he scans over this rock, he goes, hey, I promise you, there's diamonds in this rock. Like this rock is loaded with diamonds. So when you're hammering and hammering and hammering, just hoping for the smallest chunks to come off, you know there's a promise of riches inside. In the same way, it's like when you're sharing the gospel, you're going maybe to a difficult place and you get rejected and rejected and rejected. It's like, no, God has many people in Ankeny. Like that's why we do college ministries because we actually believe that God wants to save people. So I don't know, my hand's sore, I've been smacking a rock, but you just keep hitting because you know there's diamonds there that the Lord is bringing to himself. Dude, I've said a lot of that without looking at my notes. Let's see where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. I think in the same way that um, Paul does strategic ministry, going to Athens, going to Corinth, going to these big cities, 
I think we have an invitation too to kind of follow him. What, what Jesus is saying in Acts, um, Acts 18 is basically like a reply or a, a reiteration of the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, the other gospels have a Great Commission too, but Matthew 28 says, um, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And when Jesus is saying, hey, don't be afraid. Preach the gospel. Don't be silent. I am with you. No one will lay a hand on you and hurt you. For I have many people in this city. It's not Paul getting commissioned the first time for Corinth. He was already in Corinth. It's this reminder that the Great Commission is still going on. Like he is being recommissioned out. And Christ even echoes his saying, behold, I'm with you always. He reminds Paul of that, that promise of his presence. And so Paul goes to these, these influential cities, plants churches with the hopes that the people he, he sees come to faith will go off and spread and keep sharing the gospel and have lasting influence on um, the entire countries they're a part of. And I'm not going to um, Purdue, but you guys know there's Salt Networks planting a church here? Woo! Yeah! Come on! <laughs> Choo-choo, right? Boiler up. Um, I think you're supposed to say like hammer down after that. <laughs> hammer down, come on, come on. Um, no, but I think we can, be re- we can be invited into that too. The same, uh, the same recommissioning that Jesus brings Paul, I think we can take today and be recommissioned out. So as far as like living on purpose, maybe the whole, the whole idea of evangelism has, present, or has scared you up until this point. Um, Maybe even hearing the, the promise that Jesus is with you maybe not, isn't bringing the, the most comfort right now. But we have an opportunity to actually switch our lifestyle, go live on purpose, be recommissioned, walk towards it. And like wherever that is, uh, I think John LaRavia talked to you guys last week about like living globally or with like a global mindset, going overseas. Um, I think next week it's really gonna be hitting on what it looks like to live uh, in Ankeny on mission. But I wanna talk, what does it look like to actually plant churches nationally. And at this point, I think there's probably two types of people in this room. The first one is the one who just needs to hear the message that Paul brought to Corinth. Like the reason, the reason Paul brought to Corinth, I wanna bring that message to you, which is it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like when Paul came to Corinth to preach, he wanted them to know that Jesus died for them, that Jesus lived this perfect life, died on a cross as a punishment for their sins, He laid in the grave for three days, rose victoriously, defeated sin and death. And I think there's people in this room who need to know that by believing that through faith alone, you can be saved. The promise of Jesus Christ being with you always can be yours. Heaven eternally can be yours. But the other person in this room, the one who has maybe heard Jesus died for you many times, I think just needs to hear that Jesus didn't just die for you. Like Jesus died for his bride, the church. Like the, I, I truly believe that the gospel, if it's come to you before and you've accepted it in faith, has come to you on its way to someone else. It's come to you to go through you. I think this is the opportunity to kind of switch our mindset on what evangelism has been in our lives. And if it hasn't been a part of, uh, if it hasn't been an active part of your life, I think this is a time to switch from that and actually build the habit of evangelism as a spiritual discipline of partnering with Christ in ministry and going towards it. 
I don't know if you guys know this, but the whole reason we plant churches in like university centers is because we actually think college students are some of the best people to reach the world. Like some of the most um, bright, passionate, um, just fun people to be around. And we actually think God wants to save you guys. We actually think he has a lifetime of good works for you guys. So me, Joe, Callie, like we all do it because we enjoy seeing what God's doing in your life. And we're planting churches at these university centers, at least this all network is, because we want to see the gospel continuously come to college students. I mean, for me, it was like my story. So freshman year, I was kind of lost and the gospel came to me there, completely like swirled around my life. And I'm up here in Ankeny, who'd have thought. Uh, <laughs> but we're planting churches in university centers with the Salt Network because we want to see what God did um, over and over again, what he did in Corinth, what he did in Athens. We want to see it happen in every key city, Ankeny, Ames, West Lafayette, Indiana, that my buddy B just going to, uh, Eugene, Oregon, my buddy Jack's going there, uh, Orlando, Florida, there's a guy named Mike who's just awesome, uh, Greeley, Colorado, uh, my buddy um, Drake's heading there. Uh, I think in 2024, maybe 25, 24, um, they're heading up to Mankato, Minnesota. And I don't know if you guys have ever actually prayed a prayer, and it's, a, it's kind of a scary prayer to pray, so it's funny that we talk about the, the fear. Um, have you prayed that God could just send you wherever he'd want you to go? I think the, the scary thing about praying, if, if God sends you to West Lafayette, is that he might say yes, like if it's like, hey, Lord, like, do you want me to go to Purdue University and help reach college students there? Like maybe you're thinking about transferring um, to a different school. It's like, Lord, should I transfer to the University of Central Florida? Like the scary thing is like, if you're a Christian and God tells you to go, you go. I think we should, I think we should be praying that. I think we should be considering that because I really think there's diamonds in the boulders of these universities that are just demanding to be set free. They're begging to be, begging to be freed. Also, is your guys' spring break? I asked someone about this. Um, not this week, but next week. Just like plug, not in my notes. They're taking vision trips to West Lafayette, Indiana, Eugene, Oregon. So if you guys don't have spring break plans, and you actually want to like get on a campus, see what it would maybe be like, hear about some vision, uh, specifically for church planting in those places, you could sign up for that. Talk to me. I'll send you a link. Who knows? But one last thing on, one last thing on church planting. The most like influential thing I ever read on church planting was by a pastor named Tim Keller. He's up in New York, uh, pastors a, a church called like Redeemer. But if you just search on Google, maybe this is your homework. Okay, two pieces of homework. One, pray that God, if he wants you to go on a church plant, you go. Two, look up why plant churches on Google. Tim Keller, January 1st, 2001, two, something like that's when the article came out. It'll pop up. But this book is, or this article is actually kind of what changed my mindset, why I want to give my life to helping see churches planted. And one of the parts that Tim Keller brings up is he addresses the myths of church planting. The people definitely kind of have a hesitation towards it. And I think the biggest hesitation is, yo, there's too many churches. But I don't know if that's what you're thinking right now, but you're like, dude, why would we plant churches? Obviously, Paul plants in Corinth because there's nothing there, but like, why would we plant in West Lafayette, Indiana, there's gotta be a church there. Or Orlando, Florida, it's like however many million, like there's gotta be a church there. And what Tim Keller brings up is how new churches actually reach people. 
So one of, the, one of the things new churches are better at, or church plants are better at, is they're better at reaching new people to the population. So people who just like move to an area are more likely to enter a young church than an old church. So as these cities grow, I think Orlando, dude, it, it grows in population a, thou, a thousand people every week, or it's either a thousand or 10,000. I, I don't know. We'll say a thousand. I'm looking at Joe, see if he'll nod at me or something. But it's, yeah, it's, they're growing. These cities are growing. And as new people enter the, enter the cities, we need new churches for them. Two, new churches are better at reaching the next generation, younger generations. Um, oftentimes people are maybe a little like sick of the traditional church or something. Um, maybe they're kind of like leaving or exploring new options after being raised in a certain denomination. And new churches are a better option oftentimes for reaching them. Um, as well as uh, ethnic minorities in communities. Ethnic minorities are more likely to end up in churches that are younger than the traditional ones. So it's like, those are three really compelling reasons that, that Tim Keller brought up. But then I thought, I was like, well, isn't the, don't people just kind of pop between churches? Does anyone really like start coming new? And this was the, the most compelling thing I found in this article. That churches 15 years or older get 80 to 90% of their new members from existing churches. So churches 15 years or older, 80 to 90%. Flip side is true of young churches. 80 to 90% of people who show up to a young church or a new church plan, I think in the first 15 years of its life, 80 to 90% of them weren't going to church at all before. Like for the Christian in the room, that should just be the most compelling reason. It's a... Uh, I think it's six to eight times more likely that someone will come to faith in a new church than in a church that's 15 years or older. So it's like, we're going, to these, we're going to these universities because we actually think God wants to save people. And we think that young churches are the best way. Dude, in essence, like the Great Commission that I think Paul is, or that Jesus is re- reiterating to Paul, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age is in essence just like a call to plant churches. I don't know if you guys know this, but we don't do baptisms at Salt Company. Like we, we do baptisms in the context of a church. The whole idea of like make disciples, baptize them is make disciples, bring them into the church. One more, one more thing, just I was, as I was studying, I saw a quote. Uh, here we go. The single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. And it just kind of ended with a, a period and said, do you want to be a part of it? I want to be a part of it. And if you guys will pray with me, we'll see what God wants to do. Jesus, you are your Lord. You're our good shepherd. We are your sheep. Lord, we thank you for um, the ones in this room that you have, you have called, that we, that we know your voice, that we've heard it, that you've, Use your voice to save us from our, from our sins, Lord. Jesus, if there's anyone in this room who hasn't accepted the gospel, hasn't believed in your sacrifice, Lord, I ask that you, you save them right now. Jesus, if you're working in anyone's heart right now to maybe move away, maybe, maybe leave Ankeny, maybe they've been here their whole life, um, and you're, you're calling them to something different, God, I pray you give them the boldness to just talk to someone about it, to just share um, what you might be doing in their life. Lord, I pray you make it clear. If you want us anywhere, Lord, make it clear to us. 
and give us the, the confidence to go. Jesus, remind us of your presence constantly, Lord. It, you're not just present with us when we're sharing the gospel. You're not just present with us when we're doing the godly things, but your promise of your presence is constant and eternal. And Jesus, I, I ask that you remind all these students all week and for the rest of their lives that the creator of the universe dwells within them. Let that strengthen them. Let that be the source of their ministry. And Jesus, just use these students to do crazy, miraculous, amazing things by the power of your spirit. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your gospel. Amen.